mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's Candice and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yep, we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. Nope, we don't. <laughs> but that's cool. It's totally cool. It's okay. I'm so excited about today's episode. We wanted to do something really fun and right on the nose for Valentine's Day. Uh, If you saw on our social media a few weeks back, we were asking you uh, what you wanted to know about female sexuality and sex. And that is what we were talking about today. Today, we are sitting down with Dr. Emily Nagoski. She is the award-winning author of the New York Times bestseller, Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life. Also, her other book, Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, is extremely successful. She began her career as a sex educator in 1995 when she became a peer health educator at the University of Delaware. She was trained to teach her fellow undergraduates about nutrition, physical activity, and above all, sex. Do you like Valentine's Day, Kayla? It's funny. In past episodes, we've talked about this, and I've always said, no, I hate it. I don't like it. I'm starting to love it. (laughs) Yeah? Why not celebrate love? 
How about you? Well, I think this year I have a different attitude about it. Usually it's the stress of, you know, oh gosh, are we going to get a sitter and then go to dinner? And if we don't do that, are we like bad at marriage? (laughs) Like, are we going to not get like a, a marriage medal of the year for like going out to eat and being romantic and, you know, drinking a little too much wine on Valentine's Day. And it's kind of nice. I'm excited to like have that pressure taken off this year and uh, and just be together and kind of find like what we enjoy without the societal pressure of what Valentine's Day is supposed to be. I mean, still including like candy and ice cream and wine and all that fun stuff, because I mean, that's the important stuff. Of course. Um, okay. What was the episode? Okay. Jessica Simpson was on a reality show. What was the name of that reality show? The Newlyweds. I'm dating myself. The Newlyweds. Give me another they, one. They had, I can tell had... you all about it. <laughs> there was an episode of The Newlyweds where Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey had to come up with like, you know, really fun, creative ways to celebrate Valentine's Day instead of buying themselves like, you know, a really nice new designer bag or whatever. And they struggled through it so much. And that was ingrained in my head forever as like the, I think a real relationship should totally be able to have fun and be creative and celebrate Valentine's Day and not have to spend a ton of money. Um, and so they ended up just doing like construction paper cards. And so maybe that's what Tanner and I will do this year. I don't know. It's Valentine's Day in a pandemic and we have a baby. So, you know, I love it. You have a new baby. I know, but I love your crafting theme this year. You know, you guys have it like crafted your goals. Um, and now like maybe doing some like crafting cards. I love this little theme. I mean, all I can say is just, we're so cool. Obviously. I love it. You know how you can do like a little, um, you remember how you can kind of do where you cut little pieces of paper and you can kind of make a chain. Oh yeah. You know, we're usually do that during the holidays. Like you can do that, but make it sexy. You know, you can do like a construction paper chain, and then just like, and then use it as handcuffs. There we go. You know, I mean, you might get a few paper cuts, but maybe you're into that. True. I don't know, Kayla. I don't know what you guys are into, but it's all it's welcome the here. It's the year of experimentation. <laughs> well, I know that Dr. Emily Nagoski uh, will be open to all of these fabulous ideas. Guys, we've got a great episode for you. Stick around. It'll be here right when we get back. And we are here with Emily Nagoski, or should I say Dr. Emily Nagoski? We are so excited to have you here. Um, You are here for our special Valentine's Day episode, and we wanted to talk to you all about sex. Now, we know you initially weren't a sex educator. Your plan was to have a degree in psychology and become a clinical neuropsychologist. How do you jump from that? to becoming a sex educator. It's such a fascinating journey. It actually uh, was pretty simple. Uh, So I'm a nerd, obviously. I've been a nerd my whole life, including in high school when I got to college. Uh, I didn't know, P.S., just a completely random aside, Jill Biden was my 10th grade English teacher. What? Because I was born and raised in Delaware, and Delaware is a very small state. That's awesome. And she's now first lady. Incredible. That's so after a my great aside. High school education in Delaware, with including Dr. Jill Biden, as she is now. Wow. Uh, and I went to University of Delaware, big nerd, knew I was going to go to grad school for something, had no idea what for, uh, but thought, okay, so I need some volunteer work on my resume to make me look like a good candidate for grad school. <laughs> and a guy living on my floor said, Hey, come be a peer health educator with me. And I was like, 
I like health. Why not? So I applied and I interviewed and I got accepted and I got trained to go into residence halls to talk about all kinds of things, stress, relationships, but also condoms, contraception and consent and sleep and nutrition and all health things. And I loved it. And I gradually went from just being a health educator and then a sex educator to doing sexual violence prevention education to doing sexual violence crisis response, like accompanying people who just been sexually assaulted to the hospital. Um, and in the meantime, I was getting a degree in psychology with minors in cognitive science and philosophy. <laughs> and I loved the brain stuff. Like I loved it. Um, and I still do. And my sense from what I loved in school was clinical neuropsychology, traumatic brain injury and stroke. Uh, but the work I was doing as a sex educator and a sexual violence prevention educator made me like who I am as a person in a way that the brain stuff just never could. So while I still love the brain stuff and it shows up in my work all the time, the sitting in a room and talking to people about sexual well-being and seeing that it's making their life better right now, right now. Uh, was something I couldn't resist. And so I changed directions. Uh, I went to Indiana University and got a master's degree in counseling. I originally trained to be a sex therapist, realized about halfway through, I do not have the magical thing that it takes to sit in a room with people and go, mm-hmm, hmm. hmm. <laughs> How did that make you feel? I, like, I just don't have that Tell thing. Tell me I'm an more. Educator. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an educator by temperament, uh, but I'm also a woman who likes to be in charge of things. So I needed a PhD. I stayed at Indiana University, got a doctorate, a PhD in health behavior with a concentration in human sexuality, did my uh, dissertation supervised through the Kinsey Institute. Wow. Uh, and uh, yeah, and here we are. Well, it's wow. interesting. You talk so much about cognitive behavior and just like how the mind works. And that actually plays so much into sex so much. specifically I think I mean obviously for men as well but in really wanting to focus on female sexuality um, and you know later in this episode we're going to answer a bunch of questions that we received from our Instagram followers um, and one that came up a lot was the subject of orgasm and I think that there is a direct correlation between a woman's brain and her ability ability to orgasm. Would you say that that's true? And did you oh, yeah. find that pretty early on in your studies? And is that a big part of your dialogue with women about their sexuality today? Yeah, people have a lot of desire and orgasm, orgasm and desire. Those are the things people want to know about. And orgasm compared to desire is pretty straightforward. Um, it's actually orgasm and insomnia have a lot in common. The single most usual reason why people have difficulty falling asleep is because of how worried they are about their sleep. Mm -hmm. Like you lie in bed and you don't fall asleep. And so you start worrying about how you're not falling asleep. Uh, the same thing happens with orgasm. If you struggle with orgasm, you get to like a high level of arousal and then you start to worry about your orgasm as you get closer. And does, does worrying about orgasm make it easier to have an orgasm? saying no to that. It does not. And that's because of the mechanism in the brain that controls sexual response. This is a model developed at the Kinsey Institute in the late 90s by Eric Janssen and John Bancroft. If you care about reading the original research, those are the people to look for. Uh, but basically, it's called the dual control model. And if it's called the dual control model, how many parts does it have? Two. two has two, right. So the first one is the sexual accelerator or gas pedal. And that means the second part must be the brake. The brakes. Excellent. So the gas pedal is the part we're all sort of used to thinking about. It uh, notices anything sex related in the environment. That's anything that you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, 
or think, believe, or imagine that your brain's interprets as a, a sex-related stimulus. And it sends that familiar turn-on signal, right? And it's functioning at a low level all the time, including right now. Just the fact that we're talking about sex as a tiny, tiny little bit of sex-related stimulus. So you've got a tiny, tiny little bit of turn-on signal happening. I'll Fortunately, <laughs> at the same time and in parallel, there is your break, noticing all the good reasons not to be turned on right now. Everything that you see here, let's see if I can remember all the senses, <laughs> smell, touch, taste, or think, believe, or imagine that your brain codes as a good reason not to be turned on, a potential threat. And it sends the turn-off signal. So the process of becoming aroused is the dual process of turning mm. on the ons and also turning off the offs. And it turns out when people struggle with anything related to sexuality, but in particular with orgasm, it's not because there's not enough stimulation to the gas pedal, though sometimes just adding stimulation to the gas pedal is a great shortcut to orgasm. Vibrators provide an intensity mm. of stimulation to that gas pedal that cannot be matched by any organic stimulation. But usually when there's difficulty, it's not because of a lack of stimulation to the accelerators because there's too much stimulation to the brake. Stress hits the brake. Worry about orgasm hits the brake. Body image stuff hits the brake. Trauma hits the brake. Worrying about your kids opening the door mm. or interrupting hits the brake. Shame and cultural stuff about mm. feeling like you're not allowed to have orgasms and pleasure hits the brake. Worrying about your partner's expectations, worrying that your partner thinks that you're taking too long, all of that stuff hits the brake. Sometimes it's simple stuff. The grit on the sheets is distracting you. Those things are nice and easy to get. You know, if you're distracted by the grit on the sheets, you change the yeah. sheets. <laughs> um, you bring up stress and in, in, uh, in how that parallels with sex. And I think that we, we can all agree that we're living in a very stressful time right now. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that you have a lot of people um, coming to you with a lot of questions of how do you combat that stress and how do you also, I mean, even just as a society stress, we're in a pandemic, also, you know, politically, everything that's going on and, and you know, yeah. you're turning on the TV, just existing <laughs> these days and like walking out of your house yeah. with a mask on to take a walk. You don't know who you're going to come across at this point. Everyone's very heightened elevated. Right. Um, is there a way to exist right now, currently in 2021 coming off of a year like 2020 so that you can actually have a healthy, calm, relaxed sex life? Yes. So the key, key number one is recognizing that the process of dealing with the stressors in your life. So all the stuff that's activating that like potential threat feeling is separate from the process of dealing with the stress itself. So the stressors are the pandemic and political stuff and family and time and money and uh, worrying about sex. Those are all stressors. And the process of dealing with those is separate from the process of dealing with the stress itself. The stress is what happens in your body. It's the adrenaline and cortisol that gets activated. And in the environment where we evolved, our stressors were not a pandemic in the political world. They were mostly like they had claws and could run 30 miles an hour. <laughs> and so the behavior that dealt with stressors was like running. And that's a behavior that both deals with the stressor and with the stress itself. These days, I mean, our, our difficulties cannot be solved that way, but our, our bodies don't know that. 
our bodies still complete the stress response cycle in the same way. It needs us to do something that communicates to us that we have escaped the stressor. This is both good mm. news and bad news. Uh, it means that just because you got rid of the stressor doesn't mean your stress is gone, but it also means you can process your stress and come to the end of a stress response cycle, even while the stressor still exists. So you don't have to wait for the world to be better before you can begin to feel better. We could talk about evidence-based strategies for completing the stress response cycle. So stress has a beginning, a middle, and an end, just like all of our biological processes. Human beings are built to oscillate through cycles like digestion. Mm. As a beginning, a middle, <laughs> and an end, yes. right? And if you don't get all the way to the end of it, not so good things can happen. Um, so we have developed a culture where we're all walking around in the middle of a whole lot of stress response cycles and we don't give them a chance to end. So mm. if you want to complete the stress response cycles that are just spinning in your body, waiting patiently for you to do something about them, physical activity is the single most efficient strategy. It has always worked for me. It has never worked for my identical twin sister. People just vary Interesting. in what works for them. Overall well-being is so important to sexual well-being. There's a section in Come As You Are uh, about stress and feelings. And people kept saying to me when Come As You Are originally came out, yeah, all that sex science, that's great. But the thing that really changed everything for me was that one chapter on stress and emotion processing, which I told my sister, the identical twin. Uh, and she said, yeah, no shit. <laughs> that time they started teaching me that stuff and it, you know, saved my life, she said twice. She said, and I said, so we should write a book about that. So we wrote Burnout, right. uh, which came out in 2018. So I could talk about this stuff forever because I'm. it's also, as you can imagine, some people have been asking me about it lately. Oh, yes. <laughs> and we have a lot of those questions as well. So physical activity, connection uh, in a lot of different ways. So this can go from like really basic, superficial, lightweight connection. Like you go and pick up, a latte and to the person at the checkout, you just like make eye contact and you say hello and you say, hey, I really love your earring. And they say, thanks. And like just that little bit of social contact is the very first signal your brain looks for as a sign that the world makes some kind of sense. Uh, there's also like more intense connection, the 30 second hug. If you have someone in your household uh, whom you like and trust enough to hug for 30 seconds in a row, like that's a potentially awkwardly long time to hug someone. <laughs> and that's the point. You have to actually love and trust them enough to press your body against their body. You put your arms around them. It's not about the number of seconds. It's about holding them and them holding you until something flips mm -hmm. in your body and you go, <sighs> all right, I have come home. I am in a place of safety. My body is a safe place for me to live now. Uh, there's also the six second kiss, uh, which is John Gottman, the relationship researcher's uh, suggestion. It's long enough to be a significant event, not too late, not so long that you make the kids late for school is his way of talking about it. Uh, so six second kiss, again, not about the six seconds. It's about the connection that you get. If connecting with humans is either not an option for you right now, or uh, you're just not a person for whom humans are your first place to go for connection, animals and connection with nature and the divine are all ways that uh, your brain will feel grounded and like it has returned to a place of safety. Physical activity, connection in any of the ways it manifests, sleep. <laughs> 
(laughs) And I know it's not revelatory to be like, sleep is good for you. Um, But as parents of small babies, uh, you will know that sleep is not always available. Yes. Uh, So this is the moment when I have to talk about human giver syndrome. Uh, Human giver syndrome is the term Amelia and I made up for the idea that women have a moral obligation to be pretty, happy, calm, generous, and attentive at all times to the needs of others. Um, When we were reading the research, we... Uh, you're probably familiar with like the first shift, second shift language. First shift is you make the money. Second shift is you do all the things necessary to sustain a household. And then the third shift the researchers called is during the night when everybody's sleeping, not everybody's sleeping equally. In heterosexual partnerships, who's expected to sacrifice their sleep on the altar of other people's comfort and convenience? Women. Even past the initial and inevitable insomnia fest that is like the infancy years, even past then, regardless of who has a job, women are the ones who are expected to sacrifice their sleep. So when I say sleep, I don't just mean, of course, get seven to nine hours, sleep within your own sleep cycles, make sure you're using naps effectively. I mean, creating a bubble in your home where everyone recognizes that your sleep is essential. I mean, it's a biological drive. You can die of sleep deprivation. Anybody who values your life wants you to get adequate sleep and they can be helping you to cordon off space and time to protect your sleep. They value your well-being as much as you value theirs. And therefore, there are nights when your sleep is not disrupted. And I think if you can tell your partner like, hey, I think this is really important that this is my safe sleep zone because I'm just trying to better our sex life. I think that that could, yes. that's a great, great angle. I love that pitch. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you need to use it, there's actually research that shows that an additional hour of sleep in one night is a 10% increase in the likelihood of sex the next night. Hey, oh go. my gosh, I'm so using this on my husband. Thank you sleep so much. Is, sleep is, I'm not kidding. Sleep is the foundation of all other wellness. Mm. And I, it's not like you're like, oh, really? Sleep? That's interesting, Emily. I didn't know that sleep is good for you. <laughs> I think the most important correlation is specifically with our conversation with you is the, the idea that um, sometimes you think, especially as a woman, I, I would think, you know, it's easy for women to, to assume if you're having issues with your sex life or with your partner or your own sex life with yourself or achieving orgasm, that it's usually like some physical thing on your body or, you Mm -hmm. know, but it's not, it's, it's internal. And and it can be something as simple as making sure you're getting enough sleep at night. And that, and I think that conversation's way easier to have with your partner as opposed to, Hey, something's off with our sex life, um, which can come across as combative as opposed to saying, Hey, you know what? I heard this thing, I, I realize I'm not sleeping very much. And can we try that out to improve our intimacy in our sex life? Um, and that's a yeah. much easier conversation to have. It turns out I'm totally overwhelmed and exhausted. I've spent 23 out of 24 of the last hours of every day for the last 10 months in your vicinity. I need yeah. rest. <laughs> I need a break. I need to take an hour long walk by myself. Then I need an hour long bath. And then I need a 90 minute nap. And with that as our foreplay, I will meet you in the bed. 
Yeah. Well, and you know, we're, we're talking about stress, but one thing I read that I just so resonated with me that you wrote is for most people there, the context that they need is low stress, which is what we talked about, high affection and high trust. And so so I feel like we've hit the the low stress and we've hit the the high affection by hugging someone for 30 seconds and like spending, you know, creating that safe zone. And I think that high trust is key too, because, you know, I, or I, I guess it is for me um, in order to reach that climax, because you want to make sure that you do really trust your partner. That's something that's, so how do we make sure that we continue to do that with all the craziness of life? Yeah. Trust when you get right down to it is not very complicated, but it's not always easy. Uh, Sue Johnson, who is a sex therapist and researcher who uh, developed emotionally focused therapy, defines trust as just, are you there for me? And of course, for her, R stands for emotionally accessible, emotionally responsive, and emotionally engaged. When I turn toward you with some difficult feelings or compa- or stuff. Will you turn toward that? Will you be there for those feelings? Will you be responsive to it? Will you be engaged? Will you be uh, accessible to me uh, with my difficult feelings? Are you there for me? And you can imagine, why is trust so important with sex? My God, are you there for me? You turn up in a place, you maybe take off a bunch of clothes. So somebody's going to see parts of your body that almost no one will ever see. You're going to let them touch you in parts of your body. No one else will ever, hardly anyone else will ever touch. And they might put a part of their body inside you. You might put a part of your body inside their body. Like the trust is so important. So if you show up like that, you take off your clothes and they're there for you. Their response is, yay, and thanks, and wow, right? If you show up and they're not fully there for you. If their response is like, uh, okay. It's going to be hard. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not going to, that's not the thing. That is vulnerable. Yeah. That, the, if they're not there for you, it is difficult to trust them. It's so difficult for us even to trust ourselves. We really need our partners to be trustworthy because that teaches us that we can trust our own bodies. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so <laughs> delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend. Plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. we're back. Well, we have a lot of questions from our followers on social media, specifically about trusting their own bodies. Um, and I'd love to to present them to you and dive on in if that's all right. Uh, we Please have some younger listeners. And, and so especially with you talking about how you for a long time went to speak at schools. Um, I would love to hear from you for um, our listeners who asked this question about losing their virginity and, you know, what that feels like, what they should expect. Should it hurt? Um, you know, it's it's been a while. So I feel like you'll be able to answer that question <laughs> um, more eloquently so many for our younger listeners. You have so many things <laughs> to say. Thing number one. No, nothing is ever supposed to hurt with sex. If you're experiencing yeah. unwanted pain, there's only two things for me that count as abnormal with sex, and that's unwanted pain and lack of consent. If everybody who's there is glad to be there and free to leave anytime they want to, and no one is experiencing unwanted pain, you're doing it right. 
you're doing just fine. No, it should, nothing should ever hurt. Uh, the next question is, okay, so what is the it we're talking about? Losing, losing your virginity? Um, virginity is a biologically meaningless phrase. Uh, uh, I think most people typically are referring to a penis going into a vagina, but lots of people mm -hmm. have many kinds of sex that do not involve either a penis or a vagina. And uh, are you still a virgin if you've had anal sex? Are you still a virgin if you've had oral sex? Are you still a virgin if you've like, what, what counts as virginity? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm going to assume that people are just like, the whole experience of like engaging in new sexual behaviors for the, with a partner for the first time. What's that like? It should never hurt. There is no relationship between um, whether a vagina has been penetrated and its size or shape. Hymens do not break. If they do break, um, they heal just like all the rest of our skin and tissues do. Uh, the most common cause of pain with penetration of the vagina is lack of lubrication and lack of arousal. The primary cause of lack of lubrication and or arousal is not spending enough time doing other stuff first. You're just not turned on enough yet. You're not experiencing enough pleasure to make vaginal penetration pleasurable. Um, my number one recommendation, particularly if you got born in a body where on that day, all the adults looked at you and went, it's a girl, you got handed on that day, a manual, like a user's manual for your body. And unfortunately, um, a lot of adults don't read that manual before they give it to you as a newborn infant. Um, and there's a lot of bullshit in there. <laughs> and it includes a lot of stuff about how your genitals don't belong to you. They're dirty, they're broken, they're wrong, they're ugly. They are not, they are fucking beautiful. They are glorious and perfect and a source of divine pleasure, ecstatic pleasure, and they 100% belong to you. There was a woman who tweeted me after she read Come As You Are, who told me that uh, she watched her adult brother change his baby daughter's diaper. And so she's all clean. He goes and gets a diaper. And when he comes back, she has her hand between her legs. And dad goes, ah, ah don't touch that. Ah, which, you know, she's never going to remember this moment. But, you know, if his baby had had a penis instead, how would he have responded? Yeah. If his baby yeah. had been holding her feet, how would she ever, how would he have responded? We right. love it when babies find their feet. Oh, did you <laughs> eat your feet in your mouth? Look what you put in your feet in your mouth. <laughs> right? That's, that's like a way that we're allowed to feel about our babies experiencing the pleasure of their own bodies because their bodies belong to them. Now, this baby's not going to remember this moment. And if nothing else like that happens, maybe there will be no impact. But chances are she'll be raised in a culture that teaches her over and over. Ah, uh -uh, don't touch that. Don't touch that. That's dirty. When I was 11 years old, I asked my mom what a vagina was. I read it in a book. We're in the car driving home from the library. I don't remember any of the words she said, but I remember this huge flash of like horror, emotion, shame, embarrassment, disgust. And whatever this vagina thing was, I knew I should never talk about it ever again. Mm. Did she intend for that to be what happened? I'm sure if she had like thought through what she wanted to teach me about vaginas, it would not have been that, but she just didn't think about it. So, and I didn't grow up in a particularly sex negative culture, just in like right. a regular 
sex negative regular sex negative culture <laughs> just like regular just very ordinary sex negative culture um so if anybody who's like early in their sexual experiences is like how can i make sure i have the best possible sexual experiences um don't think about it in terms of performance don't think about it in terms of the behaviors that you do with your partner i know a tendency when i talk to college students early in their sexual experiences having not great times they were doing what they saw in porn yeah thought they must be doing it right. And the fact that it didn't feel good must be because there was something wrong with them. They thought their bodies were broken because the sex they were having didn't feel good. No, if it doesn't feel good, that's not the sex for you for whatever reason. Um, So don't think about it in terms of what behaviors you engage in. Think about it in terms of what the sensations feel like in your body. So I recommend for all young people of any gender, of any genital configuration, masturbate. Learn what pleasure feels like in your body when you're by yourself so that when you get to being engaged sexually with a partner, like you're making out with your certain special someone, it gets hot and heavy, you super love and trust this person, you're feeling like this is a great opportunity. And then they start doing something that's like, meh. It just like, it doesn't feel like, I don't know if that feels good. And then your partner goes, does that feel good? Yeah. <laughs> if you got raised as a, it's a girl type of person, what is the answer to, does that feel good from your sex partner? It's usually, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right? Because you don't want to hurt your partner's feelings, right? Yeah. You want your partner to feel happy. Especially when you're younger. And if you haven't like actually taking the time to explore your own body it's like usually you're just preconditioned to be like make them like you like be likable yes 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 I want them to like me I want to meet their expectations I want them to feel good about this experience and criticizing them or saying no to them for anything is not what's going to make them feel good so I'm just going to say yes and what the heck if you are not masturbating you don't know what pleasure even feels like in your body for all you know, that is what it's supposed to feel like. That's why it's so important to learn what pleasure feels like when you're on your own so that when you get with a partner, you can recognize when pleasure is happening inside you and you can point your partner toward the things that you really enjoy. You'll recognize it when it's happening. Because of course, when you're with a partner, your attention is going to want to go very much onto them, their expectations, their pleasure, and that's great. And your pleasure is equally important in that scenario. Both people's pleasure is equally important all the time. Um, But especially if you got raised by the It's a Girl user's manual, you got taught that your pleasure is the last thing that matters. It is so much more important that you sacrifice yourself for other people's, which is why we get taught to tolerate pain. We expect Mm. sex to hurt. Yeah. No, it's not supposed to hurt. <laughs> Have I mentioned off enough that it's not supposed to hurt? Okay. I love it. You know, it's and it truly is so important. And you know, we got so many questions also about uh body image and self-love, which I think is such a huge part of sex. And one of our questions says how not to feel ashamed that they haven't fully grown into their boobs yet. Another one said they haven't started their period yet, or they're not comfortable with their body. And so I'd love for you to touch on this because you have such great insight. Oh, you're clapping your hands. Go, go, go. (laughs) I'm so excited about these questions. Um, And it's a thing I talk about a lot. So let's start with having grown into your boobs yet. You have never grown into your boobs. 
You're in Are your you talking space. to me specifically? Yes, all of you, everybody. Your boobs change constantly. I gained a cup size with every academic degree, and then <laughs> they just that. growing. Like they don't stop. Your boobs change your whole life. Yeah, as if someone who's breastfeeding right enough, now, I have like one giant milk machine, and then one that's just like, uh, you know, just like a little splash of milk. You know, I've got the jug, I'm, and I got just like the, the cappuccino splash of milk on the other side. <laughs> And they're and they're great. They're both doing amazing, beautiful, (laughs) and spectacular. And I bet anybody who's lucky enough to get to like be with them is like, yay! Wow, right? (laughs) Just it's thrilling. So uh, you're never done. Your body's going to change all the time. You're like this ongoing, never-ending science experiment. And remember, the ones who get old are the lucky ones. Like if you are lucky enough to make it to 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, I long to be the little old 80 year old lady shuffling down the grocery store aisle with a little pot belly, boobs down to her hips. Just like my body's going to change forever. And it's supposed to be that way. Adolescence ends at around 25 in the mid 20s. And once you get past the mid 20s, you're now on the, if adolescence is about a 15 year, 10 to 25 train, you're on the 30, 25 to 40 uh, approaching of perimenopause train. And your body's going to continue to change past 40 and after 25, but really after 40, your, the fat on your body is going to change too, because before menopause, uh, the fat on your butt and thighs, that's your baby feeding fat is a different color and everything. The chemistry is really different. It is like perma fat. It doesn't go anywhere, no matter what, because it is your last ditch resort starving, but I've still got enough energy in reserve to produce milk so I can feed my baby. (laughs) That's what that fat is for, right? So obviously when you get past 40, you're less fertile chemically, your body's like, we can let that fat go. Mm -hmm. And it begins to move your fat north on your body. It goes more on your abdomen and your breasts and your arms. And that is all a normal part of the way bodies work. When they have this particular set of genes and hormones and chemistry, that's all beautiful. And I know that cultural tells you there's only one culturally constructed aspirational beauty ideal, but that's bullshit. You're being lied to, Amelia, and I call it the bikini industrial complex. (laughs) Well, beyond the bikini (laughs) industrial complex, I think that something that's really important to discuss is, uh, I know we touched on breasts, but, and also just like body changes, but we had a lot of questions just specifically, which you write a lot about in your book, Come As You Are, um, women asking, is my vagina normal? Like, Is this normal? Is this coloration normal? Are these lips normal? Is this clitoris normal? And yes, yes, it all is. Right. And a strategy here is actually the same as with body image. Get a mirror, take off your clothes and look at your genitals. Just take a look at them. You don't have to do anything about it. You just go and you look. And if you want to do something specific about it, you can write down everything you see that you like. That seems really hard to do. Yeah, because the first thing that's going to happen in your brain is like what thoughts go in your brain immediately? Everything you hate about yourself or feeling so shy and embarrassed and not wanting to do it. Everybody has always told you you're supposed supposed to to hate. Yeah. Right? Thank you for saying that and correcting me. And it turns, and like they're all, you've been lied to all your life. And I am enraged 
on your behalf that you were lied to your whole life. But now, if you want to, you get to make a choice about whether to keep believing the lies or potentially build a different relationship with your body. And this isn't, as you say, it's not always easy. When I first did this, I was 18 years old. I was in a very bad relationship and I was looking for answers. And my trainer, uh, Annie Lomax said, so everybody, when you get home, you're going to go and get a mirror and you're going to go look at your genitals. And I come to this having had the experience of, I asked my mom what a vagina was and she was like, (laughs) so when I got that mirror and I took off my clothes, I had the feeling like I was going to confront the enemy. Like I was all like guarded up, be like, come on, bitch, let's do it. And, uh, So I lay it on my bed and I put the mirror between my legs and I looked and I burst into tears because it it wasn't my enemy at all. It was just this regular part of my body. It was just part of me, like the soles of my feet. It was just regular, sort of weird looking because the soles of your feet, let's face it, they're weird looking, (laughs) but they're fascinating and they're gorgeous and yours are different from mine. And that's all normal and beautiful. And that moment has actually turned into the foundation of all the work I do for all like the like school I went to and all the science I read. Ultimately, I know that the best source of wisdom about my own sexuality and your best source of wisdom about your sexuality is your own internal experience and your own body, which is hard to believe if you got raised like I got raised, you believe other people's opinions far more than you do your own experience. But I have found that connecting with your body by truly looking at it is a gateway to feeling like grounded and autonomous in your body. Like you get to control it. You get to decide what happens with it. And you can do the same thing with the rest of your body too. stand naked in front of a full length mirror. Look at what you see there and write everything that you like. And the goal of this, one of the goals of this is, yeah, like all those critical thoughts are going to come flooding in there. They're fine. You can have those literally any other time. You're going to set them, you're going to put them in a box and put them on a shelf in your brain just for a minute. And you're going to write down the things you see that you like. If it is the hair, you write that down. If it is like a color that you see, if it's that, if it's just your spirit, because you can see that coming through, you write that down and you do it again the next day. You do it again the next day. And each time it's like a little inoculation against the cultural messages and the bogus media that tells you there's a way you're supposed to be. And that way is not how you are. You are already the way you are supposed to be. I love this exercise so much. And I also want to continue. Again, it's not easy. I know it's not easy, but it's, but it's important and and it and it's purposeful and it works. The same thing is like we need to think positive thoughts about ourselves, positive thoughts about the world. It's like why not think positive thoughts about our anatomy and our sexuality because we're so programmed by society to feel shame in a specific subject that uh, we are really programmed, which we've touched on a handful of times in this discussion, is uh, specifically female masturbation. You know, I've, Mm -hmm. I've encountered, um, women who were much older who had just never masturbated before. I'm like, how did you, how did that never happen? And, and it doesn't get taught. Don't touch that. That's how it happens. Yeah. Don't touch that. Or, well, uh, that's weird because I should just 
be with someone else. That's only uh, sex is only something that I do with someone else, not with myself. But how important it is to know your body and um, and to celebrate that. And also what to do if you're talking about masturbation uh, with other women and if you get shamed by another woman. That was a question that popped up a handful of times about, you know, someone described that they had brought up that they had a vibrator and a friend judged them for that. And they don't they now feel like a deep sense of shame about the fact that they opened up about having a vibrator, which you should be, everyone needs a vibrator. You should have 10 vibrators. Yeah. More than half of women in America own a vibrator. Yes, It is way more than normal to own a vibrator. It is by no means necessary, Mm -hmm. but it's absolutely normal in the same way that like anyone's whose body varies even a little bit from the beauty ideal. If you come down and you're like, I look amazing today. Don't I look great today? Somebody is going to say something body shaming to you because that is the sort of narrative that women are not allowed to value their own pleasure, value their own bodies exactly as they are. And they're going to get trashed in order to keep them in line, get back in line. How dare you? How dare you? And uh, so I have found that the most effective response when somebody uh, tells me to get back in line and how dare I is uh, to be amazingly oblivious to their shame. Like they're like, how weird is it that you think it's like, like not a good idea to experience joy and pleasure in life? Really? Mm. I love that. Just like not understand where that Mm. came from. Uh, The more you feel so... My job is to teach people to live with confidence and joy in their bodies. Confidence is knowing what is true. Part of that is looking at your body and knowing what it looks like. Part of that is learning about the brain mechanism that controls this stuff. There's all kinds of knowledge you can have, but knowledge, confidence is knowing what's true, even when it's not what you were taught was true, even if it's not what you wish were true. And joy is the hard part. It's loving what's true. Even mm. when it's not what you were taught should be true. Even what's it's not what you wish were true. And when you bring confidence and joy to your own sexuality, which talking with your friends about a vibrator, that is a confident, joyful thing to do. If they respond with shaming, if they respond with disgust, you can radiate your confidence and joy at them because your sexual well-being, your confidence and your joy are not dependent on their goodwill. If they're not your sex partner, you do not need them to love your sexuality. Inside your heart, there's a, it's a slightly passive aggressive, but it's a genuine activity um, called metta. It's a medita meditation, a loving kindness meditation, um, where uh, someone who has hurt you in some way, you can think to your, you can put your, literally put your hands over your heart and you can think to yourself, I am grateful for this teacher. May they know compassion and joy. And it helps you to recognize that their shaming you comes from a place of shame for themselves. Yeah. And that's, that's so sad that they feel that way, that they feel that way so confidently and deeply and thoroughly that they reflexively judge you for not also feeling ashamed of yourself. I actually just had a baby uh, who is uh, eight weeks old. And so I loved that wow. so many brand new human, a brand new human. Oh, yeah. Um, so I 
I loved that so many women asked uh, specifically about postpartum sex. And I just came off of my doctor's appointment, uh, that six week checkup when your doctor's telling you like, okay, you're cleared for sex. And I love that nowadays they're starting to say physically, if you want. And, and it was followed up with, but that has nothing to do with emotionally. If you're ready, that is a conversation between you and your partner. And also you're going to need a lot of lubricant because women who are breastfeeding need a lot of lubricant. And I think that that gets taken away from the narrative of, um, women having babies and then becoming intimate with their partners again, so soon after so often. And it was so refreshing to hear that for the first time. I did not have that with my last experience of having my first child. So it was refreshing to hear that, uh, that this time, but do you have a lot of women coming to you asking about sex, um, in a post with their postpartum bodies and also how to reconnect with their husbands, um, or wives or their partners essentially, um, after they've had a baby, when they feel like their body is not theirs anymore for a while. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so many things. Uh, so I had the opportunity to see a gynecologist and a number of other doctors talking about this whole, like, when are you ready physically after you've, if you've given birth vaginally in particular, like, when are you ready? Uh, and the whole idea of like a number of weeks and you're ready is just straight up patriarchal misogynist. When can I put my penis back in her vagina doctor? (laughs) Like it has nothing to do with like, what does it feel like for her? Because she's not a person who like gets to be considered in any way. So just like skip that whole, like at what number of weeks am I ready? None of that means anything anymore. No doctor should ever say that again. And if your doctor does say that to you, um, I know it's a luxury to go and find a different fucking doctor, (laughs) but that would be my advice. Sorry, I swear a lot. I get like feelings about these kinds of things. But like the thing is, your body belongs to you and you get to choose when and how it is touched and how you feel about it. And when a baby gets added to your family, especially if it comes out of your body, it is not just that you need to heal physically. It's that the whole meaning of your body has transformed. There's really deep like emotional and narrative work because your breasts have gone from being Like, what do they mean? They mean like a thing to put in bras and like fill out dresses and for my partner to play with and they're fun. And Uh, now they're the refrigerator. Yes. (laughs) They are, they're on duty every two to three hours. Yeah. Yeah. They're leaking, they're swelling, they're engorging, they're, they're, they're getting smaller and bigger and smaller and bigger. Yeah. How they feel physically is different. There's all these new sensations. How they look is different. What they mean is different. So when your partner touches your breast now, they're not touching the same meaning of a part of you anymore. Your genitals same difference. What they mean is now different. And that like rewriting of the meaning of your body parts changes how you give and receive sensation with those body parts. And that is a process that happens for you as an individual, like getting connected with your own internal experience, you know, in your spare time. But really, like as a child begins to develop and is sleeping more hours in a row, you can spend some time like while you're doing something meditative, like folding laundry, you can think like, what does this mean for me? And you can also have those conversations with a partner about like, what does this mean for 
us? How do you feel about these body parts? How do you feel about my feelings about these body parts? So you're co-creating a new meaning for your body and your erotic connection and the sensations that you experience when you're exploring each other's bodies. And exploring each other's bodies is, is, is I think just as valuable, if not more important than sex. I think in a postpartum, uh, relationship, so many people get caught up on, okay, like we haven't had sex, but going back to our entire, going through our entire conversation, really, if you're sleep deprived, your mind is somewhere else. Um, you don't feel confident in your body. Like all of these things are leading up to maybe not the most enjoyable, like penetrative um, sex experience. (laughs) And so just being like, what are certain things that you can do with your partner that is building on that intimacy that um, can encourage you to have a healthy sexual relationship that doesn't strictly involve penetration or the baby making that got you to that point of having a baby? Part of my answer is going to be generic. And part of it is in particular, if there's somebody who got raised by the it's a boy, user's manual who now identifies as a man. So in any relationship, I really recommend starting your sexual relationship over. Like you didn't start out by having sex. That wasn't the first sexual encounter you had for a lot of people. Like you made out first, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe you made out for a while. And then maybe you sort of like went a little bit further. And then when it felt like, yes, I'm really ready for this. This really feels right. I want to have, that's when you were like, Friday night, I'm going to wear the good underwear (laughs) or whatever. And you set up a time and you like, you, you allow the sexual connection to grow again between, you have a new relationship that has to be restructured based on the addition of this human to your family. So you start from scratch, start from the beginning with no perfect, no pressure, Um, but both needing the opportunity to explore what it's like to be with this brand new person Mm -hmm. in this brand new way, Um, feeling uh, an opportunity to please this person, and an opportunity to explore what pleasure feels like when you experience it in connection with this person. What is that like? Um, and when it comes to penetration, if there's somebody with a penis who's following the it's a boy script, we do terrible, cruel things to boys and men. One of which is that we teach them that the only way they're allowed to experience intimacy and closeness is by putting their penis inside someone, which is not really true. But it means that if someone declines to let him put his penis in her vagina, She's not just saying like, no penis for me. I'm not into it right now. She's saying, I am denying you access to a biological need, which is the connection, the emotional closeness. Sex itself is not a biological need. It's great, but you're not going to die if you don't get laid. People do literally die of loneliness. So if there's a dude involved in a relationship, he needs to work on finding a sense of connection and emotional closeness that does not involve his penis. And that is some big, heavy lifting emotional work, but it's going to make him a much better parent. If he can figure out a way to be so deeply connected and in love with everybody in his family without the barrier of like masculinity and needing to be like a strong, stoic dude, like he's going to be amazing as a parent. 
And we also say that his worth as a man can be measured by his ability to get his penis into a vagina. So if you say no to it, you're, what you're saying is, no, you're not actually a good enough man. No, you're not actually fully a man. I'm denying your whole personhood. And that's, of course, that's not actually true. So in the same way that women work on un, like dismantling all the stuff about our bodies aren't good enough, men have to do the same thing. It's a different shape, just like their bodies are a different shape, but they still have a whole lot of dismantling to do. And what a great opportunity to do that while they're like super sleep deprived, hopefully, since you are too, um, <laughs> and feeling enormously emotionally vulnerable. Like, let's take the train wreck that is your life when you have a brand new human in your house <laughs> and turn it into like a chance to turn toward each other's difficult feelings with kindness and compassion to promote the intimate connection way beyond just putting a body part inside someone else's body. Does that make sense? It does. It makes yeah, so much really sense. And I, I know that we all understand it, but the way that you put it, it just can, ch it changes everything. So thank you. Truly. One of the listener questions that I thought was really interesting. Why does a healthy vagina go dry during sex? Because this happens. It happens to the best of us. But yeah. What, why? And then I guess, what can we do to combat that? So uh, genitals are really not built to produce adequate uh, lubrication for more than a few minutes of intercourse. So literally pretty, not literally every single person with a vagina, but basically everybody with a vagina should be using lube if they're having genital contact that lasts more than a few minutes. That's literally just the way vaginas work. I love Use it. Lube. It's that simple. It's that simple, guys. Use yeah. lube. <laughs> that, that's what they all do. That's why. Because evolutionarily, we were not structured for sex that lasts 15 minutes. And I think women right. sometimes carry like a shame. Like I'm supposed to be this like, Ugh. like, yeah. you know, so wet, yeah. like, you know, I mean, I love, I love to dance to WAP. I'm, I love that song. I'm all about the WAP, but like, you know, sometimes you need assistance in the WAP, you know, maybe it's a, it's an L WAP, you know, it's a lubricated yes. wet ass pussy. So, um, so yes, <laughs> I a WAP. <laughs> A la wop. I want to see that new music video. <laughs> Just like pouring, squeezing a bottle yeah. of lube everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, because this is our Valentine's Day episode and anyone who wants to treat themselves or treat their partner, are there certain things that you recommend that whether it is a lubricant or a vibrator or something to read or something to watch or something like something to do um, that can maybe, you know, for someone who's by themselves, uh, get a little bit more intimate with themselves on this special day or who's with a partner, something fun that they can uh, do with their partner that isn't you know, what we were just discussing, uh, strictly penetrative. Um, but that, that is, uh, is something fun we can all do in COVID or people who are in long distance relationships because they can't see each other right now due to COVID. Yeah. Oh, there's both so many things. And also any suggestion I give is only going to work for a little subset of people. <laughs> so let's take people who are by themselves. Uh, first of all, it is a great idea to like set yourself up what I call a sex positive context, whatever that means for you. If it means candles and lingerie, great. If it means 
shackles and whips, great. It should probably <laughs> include lube if you're going to do any genital touching, but like set yourself up a thoroughly decadent, take a couple of hours and just like get into your body, pay attention to what pleasure feels like inside your body, because you only get one in this life. And you might as well learn everything you can about it and enjoy the hell out of it. Pleasure is your birthright, as Good Vibrations says. <laughs> you are entitled to all the pleasure that your body is capable of. So why not? And I don't know what that fantasy looks like for you, but anybody who thinks about it for a minute can probably think of like, if I were just going to have two hours by myself to experience the most like hot sensation I've ever had, what would that be? You, you probably have a couple of ideas. Yeah. Feel free not to tell me what they are, but like, you're like, I have some ideas. And for some people, it might be, I would literally just nap for two hours and that would be amazing. <laughs> but if you have a partner, I know there is a strong inclination to want to be surprised, to want your partner to just know spontaneously what would be right for you. That kind of mind reading comes along only after like your 10 years of friendship where you can read each other's minds because you have such long-term and intimate knowledge of each other's habits and experiences. So maybe if you have the kind of relationship where your partner has that depth of knowledge and you're like, you need to fucking surprise me for how, for Valentine's day, or you're like, I am going to surprise you for Valentine's day. All I ask is that you cordon off this period of time on your calendar and be ready for whatever. And because you know the person, you can figure out what it is like that they're going to be up for and always be ready to adapt because, you know, like it might be that that day happens to be a particularly challenging one, a particular, maybe there's a coup that day, you never know. <laughs> be ready to adapt and adjust to whatever's happening on the day. But when you know the person well enough, you can make that plan and you can be open to receiving. Do you trust your partner enough to receive whatever plan they have made? If you don't have that, then you co-create it by talking about it. Yeah. Is that too Wait, scary? what? <laughs> I know. I know. But if, if you imagine like, okay, so there's some things like I want to have a really sexy Valentine's Day with you and things have been really stressful. So let's just like, let's co-create a bubble of magic and pleasure. What would you like? in the bubble of magic and pleasure and you listen to their thoughts. And then you say, and here are some things that I would enjoy. What can we do to make this happen? And be realistic about it because like, you know, budgets can be limited and time can be limited and there's always childcare. But figure out, so there's a, a great sex therapist and researcher named Peggy Kleinplatz who wrote an amazing book that I highly recommend with the, the best title of any book in the world, Magnificent Sex. <laughs> uh, yes. She interviewed dozens of people who self-identify as having extraordinary sex lives. And the conclusion she ultimately came to, the way she can apply the findings of like what great sex looks like for these people is that most problems with desire aren't really problems with desire. They are the consequence of having dismal and disappointing sex. So it's not about figuring out how to want sex. It's figuring out what kind of sex, as she puts it, is worth wanting. So if you can talk with your partner about what, what kind of sex is worth wanting, what kind of sex is worth 
cordoning off time in your calendar when you've got all these other things to do, kids to raise, jobs to go to, family to pay attention to. You just want to spend some time by yourself. God forbid you just want to like watch some Netflix and go to bed. Why would you put all that aside and just spend time with this other person, put your body in the bed, let your skin touch their skin? Why? It has to be because you like it so much. Mm. What kind of sex is worth wanting? I love that. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I wish my answer could just be like candles no. and, and corsets. And we don't. We don't wish that. Oh, okay, it's like good. poetry. It's like poetry when you talk about it. It'd be, it'd be so much simpler if like I could give the same answer for everybody. But instead, the answer is you got to ask yourself. Like you got to yeah. look at your vagina. You got to listen to your own internal experience. You have to listen to your partner with love and patience, understanding that they're just as afraid of hurting your feelings as you are of hurting their feelings. And that's how great sex happens. Well, and you have to put in the effort to get to know, you have to put in the effort to want to have a great sex life sometimes. It has to be I a think- priority and it is normal for there to be times when sex is not a priority. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, I think in, you know, when, in your twenties, your priorities are a certain way when, when it comes to sex. And then in your thirties, your priorities change. I'm sure in your forties and your fifties, in your lifetime, in your lifespan, your priorities do change. So even though you feel like, you know, your partner, these conversations are extremely important because preferences change, people change and um, bodies change. Exactly. So this is such a good life lesson to do at constantly with your partner. Can I tell you? The average, the typical age of the first experience of extraordinary sex in Peggy Kleinplatz's research subjects, average age of the first extraordinary sexual experience was 55. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. All right. Well, 55, here we come. (laughs) Uh, We got 20 more years. Oh my God. That seems like forever. <laughs> that your children are going to be out of college by then. <laughs> I know it's going to be good. That yeah, empty nest. It's going to get real freaky. Yeah, you turn their bedroom into a into a basement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. put up a rack. Yes, a feelings in a bondage basement. Yeah, where we talk about our feelings. We look at our genitals and then we get a little freaky. Um, Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. For anyone who wants to um, maybe reach out to you to learn more or just follow you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, I'm not doing a lot of social media these days. Uh, But uh, most recently, I have a podcast with my sister called The Feminist Survival Project. And uh, if you're going to follow anybody on social media, I recommend The Nap Ministry. Trisha Hersey is the nap bishop. She's a minister who talks about rest as uh, revolution, rest as reparations. Mm, great. I, I love, love that. that. Well, Emily, this has truly been so fascinating. You are incredible. Thank you for joining us, truly. My pleasure. Thank you. After our conversation with Dr. Emily Nagoski, I feel like we touched on so many topics, but really we've only hit just the tip of the iceberg. And and I want to make sure that if our listeners walk away with anything, what we've learned is that we're all normal. Everything's normal. All these questions that you guys submitted that you asked, we understand. Dr. Emily Nagoski understands. We're all in this together. Everyone's different. And yet we're all still normal. It's such a great 
message to remind ourselves of. Yeah, in her book, Come As You Are, that's a huge part of it. The second you start reading it, that's like a really strong theme throughout the book is how many people come to her saying, but is this normal? Is this normal? And how (laughs) that word gets thrown around so much. And yes, it is normal. Just piggybacking off of what you're saying. And, uh, and, you know, and some of the negative stuff is normal, too. I, I completely understand some of these questions that we got of like, feeling uncomfortable in your body or feeling shameful or not knowing how to, you know, approach us bringing up sex with your partner or your desire. Um, all of those things are normal too. We really appreciate all your questions on social media. Please reach out to Dr. Nagoski if you have any other questions and pick up her books. I also just want to say the amount of <laughs> questions we got asking if it was normal to get a vibrator. Yes. I cannot stress this enough. <laughs> Girl, <laughs> go get yourself a vibrator. There's so many out there. Like, just get one. Treat yourself. Like, that's the gift <laughs> that keeps on giving. And and partners will be thrilled. You know, that's okay also to bring that into the bedroom. So really get to know yourself and your own sexual relationship with yourself. That's such a beautiful thing. I love that Dr. Nagoski really took the time to highlight that and um, and how much of it is mental. And, and that starts with you getting to know yourself. I mean, how much do we talk about meditation or journaling or, you know, just really self-acceptance on this podcast a lot. No, it's so true. You're, you're so right. So it's important to also have that self-acceptance when it comes to your sexuality. Like that is not a separate thing that, that is included. It's lumped in with all those other things. Um, Mm. I just, I just love that Dr. Nagoski highlighted the importance of that so much, especially, um, for our younger listeners. And I think it's so easy to forget as we get older too. It's easy to hear all the little voices of what we should be doing and how many times we should be doing it and and what it's supposed to feel like and what it's supposed to look like. Um, and, and right. Instead of just really embracing like, well, what do I want and what is what feels good and what sounds good and what thinks, like what thoughts are feeling good. Oh, that's so great. And you guys, for our listeners, happy Valentine's Day. Make sure you love yourself. Just like what Candace said, love yourself, love those around you. Love is a beautiful thing and we can definitely use more of it right now. We hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you next time on Directionally Challenged. No, we won't see them. Is that weird? Or just leave it. It's fine. <laughs> Another great ending from <laughs> Kayla and Candace. <laughs> That's a wrap, guys. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa DeMonts. Edited by Katrina Henning. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.